What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of For the Love of Cinema, a movie podcast where our motto is, we just hope it doesn't suck. This episode 350B, the second episode for the week, we'll now discuss our thoughts on The State of Star Wars Part 2. With you for that discussion, Grayson Maxwell and returning is special guest Jeremy Lee. Jeremy, say hello. 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 <laughs> well, welcome, welcome back, sir. <laughs> For the episode discussing The Expendables 4, including the whole box office breakdown, what streaming, and trailer talk, check out episode 350A, posted on Tuesday, October 3rd. I gotta be honest, Jeremy, do you, it's already October 3rd, man. Does that not, does that kind of weird you out a little bit? Yeah, especially with, yeah, just how little there is left to the year. It's, I just, you know, it's funny, like, Years one through eighteen seem to creep and crawl, and then like you just you blink and five years go by, and you blink and ten years go by. Oh, I have oh. a theory about that. It actually has to do with writing, but it's a, it's a concept called event compression, and it's like really? the older you, the older you get, the more you're looking back on, and the more your brain has to kind of compress those events as like uh, as pieces of memory essentially, and so it makes yeah it makes your current you know, timeline feel uh, like it's just flying by because you're all, yeah, because you're constantly comparing it to the history that you've already lived, basically. That's, that's as good a theory as any. Uh, Well, (laughs) welcome to uh, psychology story hour with Jeremy. There we go. There you go. (laughs) Taking taking a little detour from movies, but all right, Jeremy, welcome back to the show, my friend. You're always welcome. And with, uh, we are continuing on to part two from part one, where we talked about uh, kind of in part one, we talked about where Star Wars has been, and we went over the uh, Star Wars episodes one through nine, and just kind of given our thoughts on them. And now that we are able to look back, uh, and especially at the prequels versus the sequels, how in a different light you can look at the prequels now that the sequels exist uh, is a is is, is a I've come to some conclusions about the. <clears throat> Last week we talked about some conclusions about the prequels that I never thought I'd arrive at because. It really took three movies that were, you know, con- conceptualized and realized worse to make me realize how lucky we were to get the prequels in the state that they were in. And yeah. now that I've been doing all this kind of look, looking back on Star Wars and I've I rewatched the original nine films, especially four through six, like I'm just so nostalgic for four through six because of how well written they are, how well written the villains are, and the hero. It just all the archetypes we talked about on part one. And I watched these shows like Ahsoka, like Andor, like especially Kenobi. I had such high hopes for Kenobi when yeah. I heard that, when I, when I heard that um, Ewan had signed on for it, I'm like, Oh, this is going to be great. Like, and then, and then I watched it and like, Oh, this is not great. <laughs> this is not great. But this yeah. is, I think star Wars and for the most part, Marvel, given how they're now the same company, but I think Star Wars is a prime example, um, and I'll give you a second to talk, Jeremy. I know I'm going on kind of long-winded, but I know Star Wars is kind of an example is what happens when, A, you just you take something years and years and years beyond what it was meant to be uh, by flooding the market, and when you try to go back and retcon things that were never talked about in the, in the timeline, try to go force these things, it doesn't matter, for example, the stakes of these shows because ultimately they never they were never mentioned in the timeline and so they don't matter in the star wars canon the films so that's my whole 
thing with it and maybe you can shed some more some of your own kind of writer light on that but yeah i just i think i mean you're you're kind of hitting it on the head i think it's um we like we discussed telling stories that don't need to be told or telling stories that have um either narrative or, or logical or <clears throat> emotional inconsistencies with them um you know we like we both agree that like rogue one for what it is even though it was an, an unnecessary film that it was an enjoyable film and and like relatively well made but you think you think about even the end of that story right um at the beginning of a new hope uh you know leia is captured by darth vader on her cons you know on her consular ship and you know what does she tell vader right she makes this excuse that well this is a a diplomatic uh ship you know on our way to alderaan or whatever she says right and yet, at the end of Rogue One, we see that that ship has just escaped from, you know, moments before or minutes before, has just escaped from uh, that planet uh, where the, the plans were found and has raced off uh, into, into the, the stars. And essentially, Vader's command ship has caught up with her. So when she makes that excuse now in A New Hope, it kind of makes her look stupid. It, it makes her look like she's giving like the thinnest, stupidest excuse when they just ran away from that battle. You know what I mean? Well, of <laughs> so, course. It, yeah. yeah and, go, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, so, so even something as simple as that, it's like you have to, if, if you're going to do these kinds of stories, you have to really, uh, again, yeah, like you said, putting my writer hat on, you have to stop and take notes on where everything is now. Like, okay, where, where do we find Leia? What is Leia up to at the beginning of new hope? What is she telling people? What is she saying? <laughs> and you can't have this new thing that you're bringing in as kind of a prequel, uh, which is what rogue one essentially is immediately to a new hope. You can't come in. You can't bring in that piece of the story with these inconsistencies that are, that kind of do your original characters, um, you know, a disservice. Right. I agree. I would agree. It's tough though, because it's even something as simple as when you look at the end of episode three, and, and this has to do with Lucas's interpretation of the younger Anakin Skywalker is, I mean, he was directing Hayden Christensen the whole time. So I'm sure all the, there's very little to blame rests on Hayden, whatever blame I'm sure is Lucas, but there was always quite a leap between how we ended with Vader or Anakin and the end of episode three and then picked up with him in episode four. Mm -hmm. I always thought mm, there's a bit of a disconnect because Anakin was not that controlled. He was not that elo eloquent in his words. He was not that, I mean, I don't, he wasn't that calculated and smart and Vader always was. And I was like, okay, well there's, there's a huge year gap in which, he learns to be Vader and become the guy. But now we've we've seen this. We've seen him a few times in some of these shows. And it's like, now mm -hmm. there's no gap. And he just is, when he puts on the suit, he's instantly that new hope Vader. And now there's no time to progress from that spoiled brat that he was in the first three films to where he is in episode four. And like, now that's even a bigger dis disconnect for, for me as characters go. Because like at least I was given the excuse. Well, there's time. He has like now there's, but now they're filling in all those gaps. So yeah. there's there's less time, and and that's just one one of many examples. I mean, you think that 
when Jen, when again we all everyone goes to that the video that Leia sends, she uploads to um, R two the R two unit and talks to you, and then she's like, I you served my father in the Clone Wars. Oh, and remember remember that time we we ran around when I was a little girl. Like they <laughs> they, they leave out like the the entirety yeah. of Kenobi mm-hmm. is is just it's silly. It's just it's awful songs we didn't need i mean to be here's a joke i made with one of my friends when i heard kenobi was coming out is another friend the front of the show who, who's done episodes with me brandon um some very good episodes by the way if people haven't listened to those are movies from our childhood that we still remember and kind of mm. influenced us um he's like wouldn't it be funny if we got obi-wan was just six episodes of Obi just living his life on Tatooine and checking in on on, on Luke every now and again. There was no, there's there, there, there's no right. There's, there's no villain. There's he's just eating. Just dinner going to the cantina, out. getting a drink, like <laughs> going you know, to going to yeah. going to the moisture evaporator farms and buying water and having arguments <laughs> with having arguments with Lars and the wife and, and yeah, or having arguments with Jawas, you know, and the language yeah, like, barrier. It, like twenty minutes of negotiating a price for a part because they can't understand each other. Yeah, it's just yeah. Like, that would have been to me. That would have been more interesting than the Kenobi we got because the Kenobi, the Kenobi just lower was, stakes. Just lower the stakes. <laughs> well, the Kenobi we got was just. It's not. It's hard because you have a guy like Ewan McGregor, and then you have whose acting chops are more than adequate for anything that Star Wars is ever going to require. And then you have, and then you, then then you have this this less than acceptable writing that I can imagine the whole time he's filming. He's like, what the, what, what is my character doing? Why am I doing this? Does this make any sense at all? It's yeah. Just, it's kind of a mystery to me because all these people interact and who are they and what happens to them before episode four starts and where do they just go? And do, do, do they willingly go down when the empire goes down? And it's just so many questions, but anyway. Yeah. What, and what well, you, like yeah, you mentioned, um, you mentioned like, uh, uh, you know the way Kenobi kind of throws off things that we learn about in A New Hope, and I mean, you know, the big the big appeal of Kenobi ostensibly was like the rematch, right, between uh, Vader and Obi Wan. Which, by the way, the the battle or the 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 duel in A New Hope was already that, so it, we didn't need it. But right. also, when Va- you know when they have that rematch in a new hope what does vader say to obi-wan he says uh you know when we last met i was but the learner now i am the master only and a master of evil dark right you know and so but okay so now that seems to refer to their fight in uh in obi-wan but it's confusing because learn was but the learner of what you know and now you're master of what and it makes a lot more sense to have them having never seen each other uh, since Revenge of the Sith. And there's that other line, right? When the when he's walking around the um, the hangar bay, and he says, "I've you know I've sensed something, a presence I've not felt since." And he kind of you know he trails off, and then he walks away. It's like that makes more sense when you haven't sensed somebody in the force for almost 20 years versus like years. a decade ago yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. know um it's like he almost doesn't recognize it because it's something that's kind of so far in his past that uh you know so these are the things we're talking about 
<laughs> well, the the interesting part is I think they keep the act the, the the actual character of Kenobi pretty much in canon from what how he acts, what he does, the decisions he would make. I think they keep that pretty much in line with the Ewan McGregor of the first three films, which is the one thing of Kenobi I'm actually satisfied with. Um, and it's it's just one like that's one of seven things that they should have gotten right that, that they they got one thing out of seven correct. Yeah, I will say that, I mean, they got it right in terms of his demeanor, but something that Disney Star Wars has really done to legacy characters is they've taken all the heroics out of who these people were. So they, everyone has, everyone now has to have some kind of demon or some kind of trauma that they're coping with. And, you know, I mean, they did it with Luke, right? Like Luke Skywalker was, he was the hero of uh, the original films. And yet when we find him in the, uh, the sequels, he's a hermit on an island who has essentially given up because his, his prized pupil, um, you know, turned to the dark side and founded the Knights of Ren or joined the Knights of Ren. They're not really clear on it. And they kind of do the same thing with Kenobi, right? He, he's, he's not, it's like, yes, he, he's experienced this enormous tragedy in losing Anakin. And he's now protecting Anakin's two secret offspring. Really, one, uh, you know, he can't protect Leia. That's up to Bail Organa. But, uh, and instead of taking that in stride um, and taking that as, you know, kind of uh, the old guard, you know, would do the old guard of the Jedi would do where they would do that with patience and, you know, a sense of long suffering and all those things. He's this broken down, you know, it's like they did it. They did it with the same thing they did with Luke. Now he's just like a broken down guy who is like, you know, removed himself from the force, but that, but, but then he's still looking after Luke. So it's confusing because, well, how is he going to look after Luke and keep Luke protected? if he's also separated himself from the force and you just, you find yourself, you know, we talked the last episode about logical, about uh, logic, not just being sort of left brain uh, mechanical logic, but also emotional logic. And so I feel like with, with the character of Obi-Wan, that's kind of what they did is they, they broke kind of both sides of the logic of his character so that we, at least I wasn't when I watched it. And you're like, not sure how to feel about him. Like, should I feel bad for this guy? Or, or do I kind of resent this guy? Because he just gave up, you know, like everybody else. It's like, it's like all the stuff that he went through in the clone wars and before that. And now he, um, you know, he's just given up and it's, it's, it's sort of, inconsistent i think with the type of storytelling that star wars is which we talked about last episode you know the, the roots of star wars storytelling when then you've it's it's uh samurai and it's joseph campbellian uh hero of a thousand faces where the hero is called the hero for a reason right he he may start out as a greenhorn who needs to learn but he does become the hero of the story and uh but this Sorry, I know I'm talking a lot. Uh, but this idea that Obi-Wan and Luke are now going to be these broken down, traumatized, uh, kind of um, emasculated characters, that doesn't come from that 
uh, that legacy or that history of storytelling that comes from a very um, sort of psychoanalytical, very contemporary kind of storytelling where everybody has to have a baggage that they're, and I'm not talking about character flaws. Uh, you know, you can have character flaws and you can have things, areas in which the character needs to grow, but it doesn't always need to be um, uh, that brand of trauma or, um, or just being depressed and discouraged to the point of just completely giving up, you know? It's a strange well, thing to do to your characters. Well, I mean, look, I would love to say it's uh, your answer was a simple and correct one, but I don't. I think it's more of the Disney thing. I mean, you can. I'm trying to say things without saying things, but you know what I'm talking about. I think that's more of the Disney agenda than is anything else. I think people like J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson, even though they're very big directors and they should have been able to make a story without any kind of studio intervention, I think the studio did intervene and say we need these things. You need to do this with this character. You need to do this. Right. And it, it really kind of hamstrings you. That's why I don't hold it completely against J.J. and Ryan Johnson. Oh, Ryan Johnson, maybe, because he's the one that took the way left field. But it's it's hard to place blame because we don't know the full story. But I would imagine that all that came about because what Disney wanted. Um, I mean, the idea, the, the, the whole Ray thing, that's kind of where I'm going with it. However... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think now, so this episode, I want to talk just, you know, I want to talk about shows like ah- Ahsoka and or uh, Ken- Kenobi um, and Mandal- Mandalorian, mm-hmm. leaving out some of the animated stuff, maybe mention yeah. Bo- Bo- Boba Fett, but just kind of an idea of where we're going. And they don't have plans, to, like they have like years of this stuff planned still, which again, yeah. is like, it's going to get so convoluted into like, like, like you said, it's going to start to take away the, the heroics of the the canon characters in the films and make it so it's just it's going to make things weird and i i mean that because already what we have has already made things kind of questionably weird like it's already they've already destroyed the beginning of a new hope they've mm-hmm. already re, they've already kind of rewritten some characters into like there's some inconsistencies there and which which character arc do i go with when i'm thinking about this character which character i mean it's tough to follow sometimes and it's it's a damn shame. Now shows like, uh, I want to say the shows I'm talking about, any, any of the Disney shows, unfortunately are victims of when they were made and what was going on in the world when they were made. I think that's a big part of it too. I mean, it, it, it's impossible to, to ignore those, those, those things going on. It really is. And Disney is a company that leans heavily into all that. So it's tough to, it's it's it, it's really tough, and I mean, ah- Ahsoka. When you watch ah- Ahsoka, it's are there no men left in the universe? Did all the men just go away? Where do they all go? Like I don't well, mean that in any negative yeah. way. I just mean like it, it. There's a noticeable absence of male characters in Ahsoka. Yeah, well, you know, it's look. It's not popular for uh for men to be the hero of a story right now, right? Like we can talk about agenda driven filmmaking and you can talk about left wing politics or right wing politics. But the point is, is that agenda driven filmmaking, it doesn't work in either direction. You know what I mean? Like if I, if I make a movie and it's pro gun and everything is, you know, good old boy. And we're going to go back. Yeah. Like (laughs) it would be so over the top, you know, that you would, even as somebody who leans right, 
you would be like as somebody who leans right, you'd go, dude, like tone it down. We, we get where you're coming from. And I'm surprised that more people on the left aren't looking at Star Wars and going, dude, tone it down. Like we get it. Like, like to emasculate your, your lead character, Luke Skywalker of the entire saga. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me put a little, let me put a superlative. Uh, I think it's called superlative uh, phrase here. Comma. Hmm. One of the most legendary iconic characters in cinema. Right. Or like the, yeah. the phrase we used last time in the canon of Western like literature, right. And storytelling yeah. Luke Skywalker Absolutely. has to take that character and take all of his, uh, his um, sort of clout or his standing away and essentially give it to a young female character who at that point in the story has not earned it. And it's not about the fact that she's female. It's about the fact that we come into that character and she's winning every fight and she's got an answer for every solution. And she flies the millennium Falcon. Like she's, you know, uh, been in the military for 10 years as a seasoned combat pilot. And like, and she's doing things that you could never have imagined seeing on solo do in that thing. Um, and, but when you do that, your, whatever your agenda is, even if it's just that you want to, you know, uh, lean more into having female heroes that's fine but build your hero right make them a dimensional character so um and i think that's you know when you mentioned like disney sort of leaning into those things you know uh, things that are happening in the world and like that that especially is uh not a franchise it is not a set of stories that should be commenting on you know, uh, uh, the, the Iraq war or the, the current landscape of social identity politics or the, whatever you want to say is going on. My, my whole thing is you can't, you can't tell a good story when you're worried about doing other things with your product. Yeah. Yeah. And only, only thing that matters here is the story like film. Yeah. if, If it doesn't serve, like, what do they tell you in like, even like the most basic writing 101 class, if that line of dialogue doesn't forward the plot or serve the story, then you need to get rid of it. It's just that simple. Yeah, it's like nothing else. Yeah, it's like Shakespeare said, right? Brevity is the soul of wit. It's like, it's it's, it's about keeping things short and tight and concise. And uh, every every action and law and line of dialogue matters. Um, So which which show do you want to talk about first? Well, I mean, Kenobi, I think, seems the we'll we'll kind of mm-hmm. end it out with Ahsoka, but I think Kenobi seems the 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 place to start here because that's yeah. the one that I think. I mean, Mandalorian, it's it's kind of doing things on an existing timeline, but not really with characters that we know anything about before Mandalorian mm-hmm. starts. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they brought Luke into it, and I get that, but it's I think Kenobi is like where the first like real canon show. I think came now again, we're excluding all the animated stuff. I hear the clone. I've not watched the clone wars, but I hear it's fantastic. That's been, that's, that's years in the making, uh, things like the, the bad batch. Um, mm-hmm. it's just, it's tougher to watch all these things, but again, it's, does Disney consider all of these Canon? Uh, yeah, yeah, they do. And I guess for the sake of this conversation, maybe we, we should call, we should separate these and call them core Canon. Like, you know, Kenobi and Vader and those people, and then maybe extended canon, like when we're talking okay, about, like 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 the Bad Batch, you know, characters that 
have they exist only in that extended kind of animated or, or other you know peripheral world. But I would I would say the Mandalorian is in the extended world also. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and I mean it definitely it dips its toe into core canon, like at the end of season two, when again spoiler alert, I guess uh, when Luke Skywalker shows up and takes Grogu off for training. Um, but then they they kind of I I think what's concerning about some of those shows, like when you talk about Mandalorian or um, even Boba Fett is that they essentially reserved, you know, we learn a lot of things about the, the continuing story of core Canon, like Luke Skywalker and what he's up to in this world of extended Canon, which aside from, you know, like what happens to Grogu, like training with Luke and things like this, you know, those stories don't really touch on what's happening in core Canon, you know, and so we find ourselves learning about like, oh, okay, so Luke Skywalker's, you know, he's starting a, a Jedi a training academy and these kinds of things. But we're learning about it in a very, um, you know, parabolic way. You know, we're, we're really going around the, uh, we're going around what matters to get at that, I guess, information, if you want to call it that. And uh, I think that's part of what, hurts those shows um because of course mandalorian and boba fett those shows intersect not only in what's happening in those stories but you know the fact that the characters actually sort of guest star (laughs) on each other's yeah yeah. uh but you know and that's that that speaks also just to the mismanagement of how they're handling some of these shows is that you know when we find out when we when we come out of Mandalorian season two, uh, we don't come into Mandalorian season three learning what happens to Din Djarin after that. We actually learn that in, again, like a peripheral way uh, in Boba Fett. <clears throat> so now we've got sort of extension of extended canon <laughs> where, where, where we're learning about what's happening to our core characters. Um, and, well, Boba Fett's a whole different monster, but... Um, yeah, I'll let you comment on that. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Is it's when I say it's too much, it like it, I think it's it's starting to be a little too much because it's keeping it all straight becomes difficult after a time. That's I think what the MCU was worried about too was it like keeping all of this straight and who was who was doing what when and where they were and who they were with and why that's mm-hmm. important and and what was going on elsewhere in the galaxy. It just seems weird. For example, in and I know we're not done with it, Ahsoka, but to introduce his Grand Admiral Thrawn, which I, I understand has been, he's been in some of the books. Yeah, and he was in uh, cl- the Clone Wars, um, the, the animated show. <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, was it, or was it Rebels? I think it might have been Rebels. Might have been Rebels. That, that, that makes or or both, actually. <laughs> um, but it's like um, you're, you're introducing this huge, huge bad guy, which leads up to the formation, the formation again of the Empire. But again, the First never, Order? You mean the no, first no. order? Ahsoka takes place after. Oh, Ahsoka. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, he must. He's instrumental in the in the making of the first order because we haven't. I mean, Ahsoka ends on. We're definitely getting more Ahsoka. <laughs> like, there's definitely going to be a season two, and right. he it lets. He even I'm in my head like struggling to keep all this like when what 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 episodes are like what episodes of the films happened which haven't and it's 
he must be instrumental in getting the, the the new order or the first order, which we do need an explanation of. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. It's just well, where we don't need it is in these shows. And something I will say is after watching a ton of these shows, each season of these shows, whatever the you know six, eight, nine hours of show can absolutely be condensed into a two hour movie. There's there's right. each of these shows should have been their their titled movie instead of shows. Uh, a couple of, a couple of people on the internet I actually have one of them uh, downloaded on my other computer is people have done that with Kenobi. <clears throat> there's a there's a couple of people who have actually taken Kenobi and they've cut it into like a two and a half hour movie and you watch it and you realize there's a lot you don't miss. You 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 realize there's entire you know subplots and threads that are that have gotten that get cut out and you 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 realize where like the meat of the story is and there's a lot of fat in those stories. Uh, you know, like the, the, uh, the shows, I mean, that's, um, what, that's what I mean. That's what I mean about stakes is there's no stakes in these shows. A, because you know, it's episodic and B, because you know, they're not going to do anything world ending in these shows because they, they save those for the films. They save those for whatever they're going to make money on theatrically at a box office. Yeah. You know, they're, they're never going to, it's never going to get into this, <clears throat> You're never going to sit up in your in your chair like during a fight and wonder who's going to survive because it's just their shows aren't created that way. They're, none of them have ever come in crafted in, in, in with with that intent, although they mean to have that intent. But yeah, it's tough when they also aim for the lowest common denominator too of these of um, and I mean it depends on where you're sitting because some of these characters how they're presented how they are presented on screen. I I would. I would imagine that there are some people out there kind of offended at, at, at how generalized Disney thinks some archetypes of people are. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if that's ever, if that too will come back to bite them. Well, it's, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's, <clears throat> that has shown up heavily, I think in, uh, with two really serious characters. And that's, um, I had a problem with that when, with the way Luke Skywalker was portrayed. Um, Luke, Skywalker, you know, went from being uh, somebody who, for all of his struggles, was hopeful and was, you know, kind of full of joy and, you know, uh, and those kinds of things, to now he's kind of this just this monastic, very stoic, um, uh, you know, he's not quite a hermit yet when we when we see him like training Grogu, but he's got this very calm way of speaking and very emotionless and and you you get the sense that there's there's no joy in this person you know and it's like you would think that if you were in touch with this cosmic power that helps balance you and that helps um you know give you this enlightened sense of what the universe is and the interconnectedness of all things and all that you would assert that you know like most people assert of their their religions here on earth that it would bring you some happiness that it would bring you some kind of sense of deep um joy and i it feels like luke and now ahsoka are both very flat stoic kind of emotionless characters and this is how disney has cho- has chosen to <clears throat> portray this kind of new uh 
their new take on who the Jedi are. Well, it's, right? it's you're, you're either like tortured, <laughs> you're either tortured, and you're full of anger, and you want to, you know, throw everything around and kill everybody, or you are so le- you are so level headed to the point that um, it doesn't seem like these people really care about anything. And as an audience, it's hard to care about people who don't care. Well, that's, uh, and, yes, you're right about that. And it's almost like they last week or last episode, sorry, um, part one, we talked about how they almost it's almost like the people that are in charge right now making the creative decisions haven't done the research and haven't actually watched the films that they're trying to insert into timelines, what they're trying to do. And it almost to me with the with the whole Luke training Grogu and talking like this and they're like, oh, well, Qui-Gon did that. And so did. Ewan, so so did um, uh, Kenobi. So of course, that's what you do when you're when you're teaching as a Jedi. You talk slowly, like you have a mastery of it. Well, that just happened to fit Obi's Obi Wan's character with Anakin in the first three films. That right, just but, happened to fit. But, but there's even, I, I agree with that. But there's also breaks in that. You know, it's like in in Attack of the Clones when he goes and visits uh, that friend of his at the diner, <clears throat> and he's asking about the Camino and Dart that uh, the assassin was using yeah you know he's sitting there and he's smiling with them and they're chuckling a little bit about something and you you get the sense that there's some kind of like sort of palsy history with them you know and uh you know he's not completely devoid of um emotion and some sense of of happiness you know and like you know even when he walks in that diner he's like hello dex and he's got this big smile on his face and it's like you can't imagine new Luke Skywalker or new Ahsoka doing that. And I say new Ahsoka because when you see her in shows like Clone Wars or, um, or Rebels, even as she's older, uh, she's not like, she's not like that. She, there's a, there's, there's a dynamic quality to her. And, you know, part of balance, if we're going to, you know, get into the force briefly, balance is not having your demeanor be all one thing, right? It's like you can be righteously indignant about something in the sense that, you know, if a bad guy kills a good guy, you're allowed to have a sense of I'm not okay with that, right? Like a a righteous anger, not an off, not a fly off the handle kind of anger because then you're out of control. And in the same sense, it's like Jedi can be, uh, they can be happy, right? They can be joyful people, should they be crazy, carousing, drunken, you know, <laughs> like that kind of joy? No, because that would be out of balance too. And so I think I think when Disney is putting these things together, they don't really know what the Jedi are supposed to be or what they were intended to be. They just think, well, we're going to make them these sort of flat monastic uh, monks, which I know is, that's redundant, but very monk-like, very, you know... Uh, just kind of on one level, like their emotions, they have a plateau to them and we're going to keep them there um, at all times. And I think, I know that, you know, I know we're going to touch on Ahsoka a little bit later, but for me, that was the biggest problem I had with Ahsoka was I found myself quickly not caring about Ahsoka because she didn't feel like a person. Well, again, she feels like a product of the last few years of Disney. Yeah. And that's not anything that, most people that have a diehard love for Star Wars should have any have any care or love for, because it just it doesn't jive with what it used to be, and again yeah. that's a that's a big problem. Same with Sabine Wren. Like I don't even think her character's needed. 
but that's that's my whole i mean i don't even know sabine to me is like one of those like why is she even in this why is she here and it's the answer yeah. is simple but the, the the answer is simple but why she's there but it's it's, or why why yet probably, again has, has a main character gotten a star i mean a, a lightsaber through the gut and survived it <laughs> i don't even want to tell you these shows have made lightsaber and blaster wounds almost to the point where i'll oh, just shake it off you're fine yeah like yeah. someone literally gets in yeah sabine's the one that gets impaled mm-hmm. with a lightsaber and then she's next episode she's fine running around doing everything she was supposed to do yeah oh i just got a little tummy ache it doesn't and she even gets shot in the back in Ahsoka. And then if you if, if if you're gonna sell me on stormtroopers getting blasted with whatever bodysuit they're wearing being body armor also, which I'm sure it is, but and then dying, but she can get shot in the back and turn around and just keep can continue fighting as normal because it, it hit her metal Mandalorian plate. I don't care what it is, that's a laser, man. Like you, it, there's 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 some inconsistencies here that I need that need to be addressed. And again, it's like they're making these shows for the lowest common denominator, which is they think I think Disney thinks is the typical Star Wars diehard fan. And I think Disney's gambled wrong on that because <clears throat> that's what they're basing this all yeah. on. The, the, the people are just accepting this and eating it up and loving every second of it. But I mean, and, and look, some people might be and, and that's and that's OK, but I'm looking for a deeper story, which we originally got in Star Wars. And it's just this is these shows are not meeting that threshold for me. Parts of them do very, very few moments of greatness, like in Ahsoka and Kenobi and Andor and these other shows. Like there's a few moments here and there that are really quite good and well, mm-hmm. well crafted, put together. But they just for as as quick as they go out that's it like it's back to whatever it was yeah and there's, yeah, there's we, a couple of moments of, in in kenobi there's a couple moments like that in a couple shows but yeah um you know you mentioned andor and i'm glad you did because i, I feel like on the other side of things um i i really enjoyed andor i felt like andor was one of those shows that like we talked about in last episode, it, it was a show that remembered uh, the references that Star Wars came from. And to me, Andor felt like a, a you know, an almost World War II era, like, you know, OSS spy film, you know, espionage film that, uh, sorry, the OSS was the, um, that was kind of what, uh, it was sort of military intelligence back during World War II as the predecessor to uh, CIA. And that's kind of what Andor to me felt like. It felt like, you know, we're going to put all these pieces together and we're going to have this the intricate, um, the intricate details that go into actually planning a rebellion and actually... Um, and like, again, we're back in the territory of like, was it really needed? Uh, no, I would argue. I, mean, it, I would. I would argue none of these are needed. Sure, sure, but and they and they could know. have all been films. They could have all been films that just <clears throat> fit somewhere in the timeline. Yeah, and and but that being said, you know, I found myself enjoying it because I felt like it was the first time that I I saw the Empire as a functioning organization that actually had its own problems, had its own challenges, had its own internal power struggles and these kinds of things. And, um, and the rebellion, 
within it, I mean, you know, the rebellion that was sort of growing uh, within it felt like they w- were really on the, on the back foot. You know, they, 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 they don't have a, nearly enough what they need <laughs> to do what they're trying to do. And I also just felt like it was a, it was a strong, it was a strongly written, uh, Tony Gilroy is one of my favorite writers. So maybe I'm a little bit biased. You know, he did, he did some of the, um, he did a couple of the Bourne movies. He did like Michael Clayton. Um, he's done some other things, but he, he, but he's a guy who understands that every person, every character in a story like that has to have uh, clear motivations, right? Intention and obstacle and these kinds of things. And, you know, you start to really, uh, oh gosh, I forget the main character in Andor. Um, Cassie, oh, Cassian Andor is his first name. Um, you know, he, he's got a really interesting arc. You know, he, he goes from kind of not caring about any of this, you know, and doing his own thing and wanting to just survive within this empire. <clears throat> and then completely innocuously, for, for virtually no reason whatsoever, um, after already witnessing some other things the Empire's done, he gets arrested. And that's sort of what helps him click in his mind, like, oh, you can't just get by in a galaxy like this because this dictatorship will eventually uh enforce itself upon everyone whether or not uh there's cause for it and i thought it was really interesting us actually taking that entire season kind of just for him to realize that you know he he's not in full-blown rebel mode like by the middle of the season it's sort of it's reluctant, you know, that he's like these, you know, he de- he decides that these people need help and that it's, it's worth helping them not solely for what it can do for him, but actually selflessly what it can, it can do for them. You know? Ask, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think all the way going all the way back to like Schindler, you know, like Schindler, Oscar Schindler was a guy that he was a, he was a war profiteer and he was an opportunist. And the reason he was hiring Jews during world war two is because they were, they cost fewer Reich marks per day than just Polish people. So he, he filled his factories with Jewish workers, you know, at the beginning of what was going to become the Holocaust. <clears throat> but he, he grew into a, a sympathy for and, and eventually like a real love for those people to the point that he essentially bankrupted himself to save as many as he could. And I like that Andor follows a similar arc where this guy, he, he doesn't care. You know, he, he doesn't, he's out for himself in the beginning. And by the end of that season though, we see that he, he's, he's coming around. Well, I, I don't um, know. I don't know how much credit you want to give because that's just the Han Solo arc. And that's pretty much just on solo. <laughs> the 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 old antihero is just he doesn't care one way or the other. If he can profit, he he will. If he can just go to sleep that night, he will. But then he finds a reason to help. Yeah, I think, but I think it's because they exist in uh, their references. Is I think differ. I think Han Solo was intentionally meant to be <clears throat> kind of the old cowboy, right? Who who uh, I mean, he literally the first time we meet him, he's wearing a low slung blaster, boots, and a vest. And he looks like, you know, uh, a gunslinger, you know, and we meet him in a cantina, <laughs> you know, like, and I think Han Solo was meant to be a few things. Um, but 
Uh, I'm, I'm just talking about the arc. How, how, how you describe the main character of Andor is oh sure sure is not, too, I, is not all that dissimilar from. And I'm saying the the writers yeah. definitely they definitely didn't they took inspiration from somewhere else in Star Wars is what I'm saying. Yeah, and what I will give Andor credit for though is that they they really take the time to flesh that out, uh, and and they have the the luxury uh, of time to do that. You know, they have an entire season or two. <clears throat> Disney has been very clear that Andor will end after season two. So right now we are halfway through Cassian Andor's story before we meet him in Rogue One. Um, and I, I like that that show has the time to do that. You know, it has the time to have all of these small little uh, progressions and regressions in his caring or not caring and those kinds of things. And <clears throat> and. And I think it's just, yeah, I think it's just a well-executed story. And I think it's also a story that I think I briefly mentioned last time. It's a story that admittedly doesn't feel like Star Wars. It doesn't feel like a kind of broad uh, adventure epic and those kinds of things. But it still does draw from, uh, largely uh, and primarily, I think it draws from uh, World War II and the way that Star Wars uh, has its references in World War II, among many other things. But that's why I sort of refer to it as like an OSS kind of, you know, espionage film. And where <clears throat> where the rebels weren't really a fighting force yet, they were kind of like I mentioned last time, they were the French Maquis. They were the the White Rose uh, out of Munich. You know, it was it was an intellectual rebellion before it was a, uh, a tactical or... Um, uh, you know, military rebellion. But again, I, I ask you with all these, with, with all this emphasis on all these shows and the, the rise and fall of some of Jedi and the rise and fall of empires and first orders is I have, they ever really answered the question now that, that red letter media very cleverly asked, what does it matter for the average person? What happens? You remember how you remember how mm-hmm. that's, before I watched that red letter me I don't think I'd ever asked that question is like the average person that just wakes up and goes to work in a diner or goes to work in a mining core like does it matter the struggle of the of the rebellion versus the <clears throat> whatever evil empire is trying to maintain hold over the people does it really to that person to the average person in the galaxy does it matter does any of this matter right well I think I think in in um I think in the original trilogy it mattered and I think in, you know, in the world of screenwriting and storytelling, <clears throat> you really have two different kinds of stakes, right? You have concrete stakes and you have abstract states so or stakes. So concrete stakes are like, you know, who will die? Are they going to accomplish this mission? Are they going to, um, you know, is, this, is so-and-so going to escape? It's these kinds of things that are, like I said, concrete and they exist esoterically within the world of that story. But abstract states are things, uh, stakes are things like, it's more about the idea that is at stake, right? Um, does it, you know, in Star Wars, it might ask the stake or the stakes might include the question like, uh, you know, should a dictatorship be allowed to control the lives of the people it rules or, or even something less specific than that, you know, does freedom matter? Is, is freedom, you know, you're, you're dealing with more stakes of ideas, of philosophies, and what is the, the philosophical uh, question 
of the movie or of the story, you know. And I think you get the, I think you get concrete stakes and abstract stakes. You get those in spades in the original trilogy. Um but I think you kind of only get concrete stakes in uh the prequels because there are things that are happening and there are things that are at stake. But we've kind of already answered the question the abstract stakes. You know, we've we've answered those questions in the original trilogy already. Um, and then I think by the time you get to the sequels, I would argue in a lot of ways you don't get either. And I think it's because going back to the whole arc of the chosen one and all that stuff, it's like it's like the central arc and the central story of Star Wars, which Lucas has said many times, right, is the rise and fall and redemption of Darth Vader and the Skywalker saga, that has been, those questions have been answered and that story has been told. And so by the time you get into the sequels with Ray and the, the new order and all this stuff, the first order, whatever they're calling themselves, um, it's, you just, you can't have the same level of investment because the central story has been told. Um, and I think that's, I think that's kind of where we do end up, in a lot of ways with uh, with the TV shows that, that we're talking about right now is you either already know the answer, right? Like we know, we know where Andor is going. Um, we know it's going to arrive in Rogue One and Rogue One is then going to arrive in A New Hope. <laughs> um, or, uh, yeah, or it's kind of just a story that has been, um, it's been told. You know, it's, it's, it's been, we know where the entire galaxy is going in the stories we're telling now, like Boba Fett, Mandalorian, Ahsoka, <clears throat> where we are in that whole timeline post return of the Jedi, but pre, uh, force awakens, we know where the, the big stakes are going, right? We know we're going to end up in the world of the first order and Kylo Ren and Ray and everybody. And so, and we also know that the characters that we are involved with in these shows, uh, aren't centrally or even peripherally involved in the story that takes place in the sequels. So even if we did care about the sequels, <clears throat> we know that the characters we're being told to care about now don't participate. <laughs> well, it's an, it's interesting you say that because it doesn't, when you do this thing where you, it's always been a fine line for me, prequels, sequels, and and middle stories. Is it especially when you're doing it like the Star Wars way? Is you have to be careful because it's it's tough to it's tough to do prequels. You, there there's a fine line you have to walk by putting your putting your characters that you know are in later installments of your story into mortal danger and asking the audience to like <gasps> like sit at the front like grip their teeth and like it's a there's a fine line between doing that and like well i'm just telling the story of what happened you have to find that happy medium and that's what i'm saying is they're not doing it very well because these characters come and go in these stories and they and they don't matter because the end result mm -hmm. is they're never mentioned again after these if you if you never watched the disney show you'd never know these characters existed at all and you still get the same result <clears throat> of the empire being the Empire and the First Order getting crumbled twice by the Rebellion. Yeah. So, I mean, what's the... Yeah. Again, I ask you, what is the point to some of this stuff? That's... 
you know, I, I, I figure like when I was in class, like sitting in these writing teachers were like, yes, but what's the point to that whole scene, those six pages? What's the point? And like, that's some of the stuff you were harboring. You were always barking at me about on Super 8 is like, yeah, but Grayson, what's the point of that character? It's great. You've told me that character and how they in, but how do they fit in the world? Why are they in there? And I was like, hey, you know, I got to mm-hmm. figure that out. And like, well, you need to figure that out before you continue to write more about the character. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember, yeah. you know, I remember that. So that's, you know, with that, we should move into Ahsoka, talk about that for 10 or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And because that's, that's the most recently released thing. And it focuses a lot on core canon because it brings Anakin Skywalker back into the fold. And yeah. It has some questionable things about how they tell that story. First of all, you're never going to convince me that Anakin, if you're just watching the films, was also had an apprentice during his whiniest and most horrible years of my life watching him. That he was not only was he being trained and in agony and in love, but he was also training Ahsoka. You're never going to convince me. You're you're never going to convince anyone that that was the case. It's just, sorry, you, you can't. So... That going into it, Ahsoka does a lot of things right. And one thing I think it does do right, and Ray Stevenson, who whom I love, has been in many, many films. Yeah, rest um, in peace. Yes, he is he he has passed. But one one of one of the best scenes in Ahsoka belongs to him when he's talking to his apprentice about the, the cyclical nature of good versus evil, of the rise of the Jedi, and then the rise of an empire, the rise of the Jedi, rise of an empire. Mm-hmm. And He's like, and then his character, as he's looking over into the out into the vast wilderness of the planet they're on, says, "I don't want to be involved in that. I want to start over." And then his apprentice says, "Well, are we there?" And he looks at her and says, "If the stories are true." So that's interesting to me. Although we know we're we know we're not there because seven, eight, nine tell us we weren't there. So anyway, mm-hmm. going forward, I think that's a very interesting scene and one of the best in Ahsoka. To, to, to be honest with you, it's one of the better scenes. Also is with Anakin and young Ahsoka and Ahsoka again. Some of those scenes are awesome because they are core canon, things that we know and love and care about wrapped in this other pile of stuff that uh, I guess I'll watch it to, to get to those scenes, but I'd rather have more of those scenes and less of other things that also don't make any sense the whole Ezra Bridger thing. I'm like, why is he in this? Why? Yes, we get there are Jedi in hiding. We understand that. But you've also tried to sell us the fact that they're all dead by the time four starts. (laughs) So yeah, what are we doing here? Why do we keep introducing more Jedi before four starts? (sighs) Anyway, go on. Sorry. No. Yeah. I mean, you're it's, it's some of what we talked about before, right? It's like that sort of stuff does, I think, break, uh, the story logic. It makes Yoda sound like an idiot, right? When gone, when gone am I the last of the Jedi? Will you be just kidding? Just kidding. (laughs) You know? And, and, and I say, I say that I, I don't exaggerate when I say that it makes him sound like an idiot because he says in empire, this one, a long time have I watched, right? So we, we know that Yoda has the ability to sort of look through the force across space and, kind of see what's going on, right? Even if it's in a general way. So why doesn't he know that there's other Jedi still out there? Um, or dozens you know, of Jedi still out there. Right, right. And and 
And, you know, you could you could try to argue that he gets by on a technicality because, oh, well, they've technically they've removed themselves from the Jedi order. So they're not Jedi. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't fly. That's just that's just lazy writing. And that's very retconny kind of writing when, um, you know, the the universe has already established uh, what Jedi are in terms of force sensitive beings who use it for good and all this kind of stuff. But I think, you know, I, I'm going to be blunt with you. I haven't seen all of Ahsoka, and there's a reason for that. And part of it is because I couldn't maintain my interest. I found, I found that there was, like a lot of these things, there are, like, very cool and interesting things. Um, the Ray Stevenson character, I agree. I think he's interesting. I think he's, like, he feels, like, stoic but kind of hurt. But you can still read him. He doesn't feel flat. He feels uh contemplative and he feels um you know and some of that is just a credit to the actor right and you know going back to talking about ahsoka like i'm not discrediting rosario dawson and how she plays ahsoka i think that's how the character is written and i think that's how the character is directed um and but i do think that we get into this confusion of you know there's a very clear distinction and there has to be between the live action world of Star Wars and the animated world of Star Wars. <clears throat> and there's a lot of reasons for that, right? One of them is that there are certain things storytelling wise or just writing wise that you can get away with in animation that you kind of can't get away with in live action because live action always has more subtlety and nuance and all those kinds of things because you're dealing with the subtlety and nuances of real human beings. <clears throat> so, if you're going to bring in characters like Ahsoka into the live action world, uh, and not just as a guest star, you know, like the when she showed up in Mandalorian, but if you're going to bring her in as part of the uh, the main thrust of these stories, or Ezra Bridger, uh, who was in Rebels, you have to do the work of kind of reintroducing these characters. You ha you have to. <clears throat> And I don't mean telling the audience a ton of stuff that they already know. What I mean is, is like, you know, at the beginning of Ahsoka, let's treat Ahsoka like we're just learning who she is, right? Where is she? Who is she? What does she believe in? What does she care about? What does she want? What does she not want? These kinds of things. Um, as opposed to what they call in, in media res, meaning like uh, in the middle of the action where, because I believe in the first episode of Ahsoka, it's like she's looking for this artifact. We don't know a thing about her. We don't know where she is. We don't know what she's about, what she wants. Um, and we're kind of, we, we arrive into that story with the history of Clone Wars and Rebels. And I think when you are crossing that line between animation and live action, <clears throat> you have to keep those things kind of separate. Well, you know, um, Disney also has to know there are a ton of people, even huge Star Wars fans, who have not seen the animated Clone Wars show and don't and, and just want to yeah. watch it and just because they yeah. don't want to watch an animated show and that's yeah, some people exactly fine. they just have, they just have an aversion to watching some of their favorite characters, i.e., Anakin Skywalker and Obi Wan Kenobi, being portrayed in the animated world. And you know, I'm not going to lie, like I I've watched a lot of those shows. I watched all of Rebels, and I would say maybe most of clone wars and then i think the first season and a half of bad batch 
And there is something to a character like Darth Vader being portrayed animated. He just, it's just not the same. It's not the same character. You know, he doesn't move the same. He doesn't sound the same. I mean, he sort of sounds the same, but um, he, but he doesn't have the same presence. And well, presence with him is everything. It's always been exactly, the, exactly. The, the, the Vader character in the first three films was presence was his thing. So you know, the just the the black ominous suit with the James Earl Jones voice that was the complete character right there. It's all you needed was the visual yeah, and the audio. And- and the way that David Prowse performed him, even under you know in in that suit, right? The guy who who wasn't the voice of Vader, but who was who was wearing the suit of Vader, um, and so I think when you're going to bring these animated characters into the live action world, you know it's it's kind of back to writing 101. It's kind of like you need kind of uh, a greenhorn character who doesn't know these people, who's just meeting them for the first time, who we as an audience, if we've never seen the animated shows, we can learn who Ahsoka is through that character. Um, You know, like, does anybody at any point say, hey, who the heck is this Ezra Bridger guy? You know, like, it's like, it's it's sort of assumed that um, we all know who he is or or that we're going to be excited to see him, you know? And to me, it's it's kind of like... um, it's similar to like the Superman fallacy, you know, it's like in every Superman movie that explores the origin of Superman, there's always that scene where he puts on the suit for the first time and he flies around and we as an audience are meant to go, woo, there's Superman, you know, but within, within that story, if you didn't know who Superman was, and this was your first experience of the Superman story, he would put on that suit and fly around and you would go, why is he wearing that suit? What's he doing? Why, why is he suddenly in a costume? You know, if, if again, I'm talking and it's hard to think of like somebody being new to Superman, but, but it's the same, it's the same concept. It's like you come into these shows, you have to kind of, you have to treat your audience. Like they don't have a prior exposure to this IP, you know, to this intellectual property, to this franchise. And, for exactly the reason that you just said, which is that like, there are so many people who are consider themselves real Star Wars fans who don't, they just don't want to watch a cartoon or they don't, or they don't want to watch six seasons of it. You know what I mean? Like, um, I was kind of like that for a long time. I got pretty behind on the Clone Wars and it took a lot, it took like a good long while to actually watch all those shows, (laughs) you know? And, and it was, um, I did it because I was a Star Wars fan and, you know, and some of them, it was just, I watched in kind of a, you know, a half hineyed way, to be honest. Like I, I just would have them on while I was working and it's like, and I'm like, ah, oh, this is an episode I don't really care about. And I don't really care what they're doing here. You know, the show would lose me and then bring me back and then lose me and then bring me back. Um, but I don't think you can. Yeah. It just goes back to, you can't assume that your audience cares about, the entire animated world. You know, it's funny you say that because it's, I remember watching episode three and I was actually kind of enamored with it because like, even though it wasn't a great movie, like it filled a lot of the timeline gaps that I, this, the, the, the questions that I, I had. And it's um, my buddy was like, Oh, but you got to watch to get more, to understand Grievous better. You got to watch Clone Wars. I'm like, I don't want to watch Clone Wars. Yeah. 
So uh, I, something I will not be doing. Thank you. It's, it's, it's not, I don't have, no, I don't have an aversion to cartoons or animation. I just, that's a lot of content and I just don't have the time for it. But, and like, I don't, I, that's I why think I don't it, consider it. Was it, was Clone Wars always considered canon? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or was it a like extended canon kind of, kind of way? No, it's, it's considered canon. Um, I think where they landed after Disney bought Lucasfilm was anything quote unquote on camera, whether it was animated or live action is considered canon, but like books, comic books, like all that, what they called extended universe stuff, the EU, all that stuff was struck down as being canon anymore. Um, so that included like, you know, we're talking about Thrawn that included like the Timothy Zahn novels, you know, there was the Tim, the Zahn trilogy that was the original sequels to, um, uh, to the original trilogy, but that was all struck down as being canon anymore. Well, because they they can't monetize that. Disney can't monetize. I mean, by by making all these extended content or extended universe things shows, they they ensure that you have to be you have to be subscribed to Disney Plus to watch them year after year after year after year. And that's that that's that's the strategy. It's not because it's a better way of delivering stories. It's come down to money, and then that that's all it is. It's money. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's the part that feels uh, un- that that feels um, a little bit manipulative. Is that uh, they they're pretty clear that you know these other shows, whether it's Clone Wars or um, or uh, Rebels, are a prerequisite to watching things like Ahsoka, and so they're essentially saying, yeah, you know, go. Go watch those first and get your clicks, <laughs> you know, and get us those views um, so that you can come into this new show. <clears throat> and I think that I think that rubs me wrong in uh, in just a taking care of your customer kind of way. But also, like I said, in that in that separation between animation and live action and, you know, you're either going to treat your world uh as a serious world of stories to be told or you're going to animate it and you're going to assert subconsciously or otherwise that it's for kids well but i don't think in animation doesn't i don't think insinuate some i mean some really great movies are animated i mean i've you know the how to train your dragon trilogy and there's no that's true like they you know like schindler's list was animated apocalypse now was animated um Saving Private Ryan was animated, but I, but but, no, but it's my the point is yeah, I know yeah yeah um, I'm just making the point that I, I I do believe that when you animate a show there is uh there's definitely a leaning toward um toward kids and and that's why that's part of the reason why I think whenever they did like uh, what did Seth Rogen do that one movie about the hot dogs that's like rated R but it's 3D oh um, sausage um, fest was it yeah. <clears throat> yeah it's like you know that was part of the comedy of the movie is that like this is an animated movie but it's a freaking profane movie you know it's not it's um, rated R yeah very yeah, yeah, very, were, very close were, to the next very close to NC-17 too yeah, I mean, or even going all the way back to the '80s, you know, like uh, heavy metal and like those those kinds of things. Um, like, that's, I know that's like a way old reference, but like, uh, you know, th- those were those were for grownups. Those had like animated nudity and like weird things like that in it. But the whole point is that it was like meant to be like hyper fantasy. It was made to be like you know a graphic novel or like a pulp novel sort of come to life. 
Um, but, you know, I, I just, my argument is just that it's not the norm. And especially in Star Wars, I think when you're animating these shows and you're having people do things like jump from 100 feet up and just land on their feet like it's nothing, you can't do that in live action. You know, like the physics just aren't the same. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because they do, I think in this episode seven of Ahsoka, they they make this in, she may, Sabine makes this in, no, 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 Ezra makes this incredible jump a force jump they call it if you put the word force in front of it then we just assume it's a jedi thing and that's fine whatever right like, right <laughs> he, he he makes it halfway and then sabine like pushes him the rest of the way which i don't know if that's how things like they're taking a generalized thing and like making it mainstream i don't think that's how it really works but there's so right. much like and the thing i like about ahsoka though and i what we'll say as we start to wrap it up here is where mm-hmm. we don't the between six and seven is where we have the least amount of knowledge because the story ended for the original star Wars fans. It ended after six. So filling in those gaps now is like an after thing. And like, that's all new. So it's filling in the gap of, um, Admiral Thrawn has gotten away with his star destroyer and he's gotten all this cargo, which we're not a hundred percent sure what's in the cargo off world where he was banished to. Mm. And, um, there was a momentary defeat by uh, the, the the Jedi, but they do have a little bit of a victory, and they they delay something and they stop some people from getting where they need to be. To but we know that, but again, it's one of those things where we know the First Order rises. So whatever Grand Admiral Thrawn is doing leads mm-hmm. to the First Order coming <clears throat> into play. So again, I think they're going to link that. I think they're going yeah, to or to, to yeah, or or it gets struck down before the first order rises. But either way, it's there's a finality to it, right? Of course, and it's and again, I do appreciate them announcing that hey, we only have two seasons of this, or this is only going to be three seasons. Like it's not like a show that in the early two thousands, late nines would go for like, why is this on season ten? Why right. why are we doing this again? Why why is, why did House go more than four seasons? Like why did it make it <laughs> eight seasons? I love that show, but it got so much worse towards the end, like so much well, worse. Sure. Um, it's just one of those things, but the whole thing with the, all this content in between to me, as, as, as we wrap up and do final thoughts here before we move into part three uh, to be, to be recorded, I think to anywhere from one to three weeks from now is all of this content, though, some of the moments are great. Some of the characters are interesting and cool to me. It is watering down and a pop. It's, you know, you, you, you have this wonderful tasting pop and then you, you, you keep adding ice cubes to it to make it cold. But every time you add an ice cube, it adds more water and it makes, it makes the original product taste worse. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of the only way I can describe it with, so everyone, so everyone understands what I'm talking about is like, it just, to me, like some of this is great and there are great moments in these shows, but that's all they are moments. And you could quite literally condense eight episodes of these shows into one with all the great moments. And that's mm-hmm. it. You've used all the good content. That's why I say these should all, and they, you, you can even release them on Disney plus, but these should all be all of these seasons of shows they're doing should be reduced to a, a two or two and a half hour film to make it tighter, to make the stakes greater, to make the characters more important, more likable is you got to condense, you know, like you, like Shakespeare brevity is the soul of wit. Isn't is Shakespeare said that? Yeah. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's you gotta <clears throat> that's just my final thought is though some of it is interesting the majority of it 90 percent of it is just filler and it's just yeah i think my final thought is similar uh i'm going to use a different analogy though i think it's 
what I call the Michael Bay effect. Um, and I, hey, I talking my language now, boy. Yeah. Well, and I mentioned this in the last episode, like I, you know, I like, I like some of the stuff that Michael Bay does. And I think there's a kind of movie that Michael Bay does that, uh, is for a kind of audience and that's fine. Um, but you know, Michael Bay historically, you know, he, he'll do even in, in a simple scene, right. Of just two people standing outside a building, he'll do these like, you know, uh, these low rot kind of swoop in shots and Dutch angles. And he's, you know, his camera's kind of always moving and, and, you know, it's one of those things where uh, he makes kind of everything matter, right? Like everything is important. Everything's got a camera spinning around it, or it's got, you know, uh, some, some dynamic like thing happening cinematically. And, but, but the issue with that is when everything matters, nothing matters when everything has emphasis brought to it as though it's something we should key in on then really nothing has emphasis and i think that's that's part of the fallacy of these shows is that we're taking kind of all this minor stuff that is not part of the the core narrative of star wars and we're making all these episodes and producing all this content and hours and hours and hours of storytelling and the problem with that is that when everything matters, nothing matters. That's that's pretty well said, actually, especially with what they're doing with all these, you know, the Marvel and Star Wars. It's just it's too much. It's just too much. Yeah. Like too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing. It just becomes too saturated. And, you know, there's a lot of video game franchises that have gone way past their means. And there's a lot of, you know, films and shows, obviously, but we're you know honing in on Star Wars and by extension Disney Plus and by real yeah. extension the Marvel. It's just there's too much. It's just too much of a good thing. Just becomes you've already you've already killed. If you ask me, like you've already killed the original trilogy, unfortunately, and that's one of the last things in the Star Wars universe I held sacred. So mm-hmm. to me, it's been it's been a lot of those characters have been undone and rewritten. When let's let let's get one thing extremely straight here. Han shot first. Han shot <laughs> first. I don't care what the the recut George Lucas scene says, even though he's the original creator. Han shot first. Him, him dodging a shot from what's his name, Guido. Guido. Mm-hmm. Guido. Him dodging a shot from the bounty hunter and then reshooting. Um, you're undoing the entire character of Han Solo. Yeah. Can I tell you why Han shot first? Please do. So. Again, in the Joseph Campbellian story model, the he Han Solo was what was known as the shapeshifter, all right, as a, as a character archetype. And the shapeshifter, by nature, is somebody who you don't know where he stands. You don't know if he's dangerous. You don't know if he's a villain or is he a good guy. Is he looking out for himself or is he looking out for other people? And so the the point of Han Solo being backed into a corner and then not in an act of self-defense like it is in the reshoot or the, you know, the redo him just shooting Greedo first. That tells the audience, Oh, he might not be a good guy. This guy might be somebody who is into some shady things. And the minute he got backed into a corner, uh, he shoots and he shoots first. Whereas if Greedo shoots first and it's an act of self-defense, we don't, we don't have that same feeling about Han Solo. And also, I would argue that that also makes Han Solo no longer the shapeshifter. Well, it makes him no longer in, in, the rogue character. Right, that, right. You know, that's, that's, that's the whole thing is, 
I don't know how or why Lucas ever thought that was a good idea, but wow, that was an awful idea. I mean, I, he's trying to he was trying to make Star Wars at the time, I think, more family friendly and appealable to every audience <clears throat> member. But yeah, this was around the same time that Spielberg took shotguns out of ET and put walkie talkies in their hand instead, which he has su- subsequently uh, said that he regrets doing. <laughs> I, I can't, I mean, what, what are you doing guys? What are you doing? And there's certain, and while we're, you know, <laughs> getting things straight, Carol Baskin definitely killed her husband. I just want to, you know, get, get that out there. Um, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about? Do you ever watch Tiger, yep, yep, Tiger King? Yep, like, yep. One of the most, Tiger King. one of the most compelling shows ever. Like I was at the edge of my seat, the entire show. Well, the first season, second season was not great, but first season was, I think some of the best reality TV show ever, <laughs> like ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to the whole Han Solo thing, it's just, that made me so mad at the time. Like, why would you? decades later choose to address that in that way why would you do that just let it go what is wrong with you but i mean the whole thing with and and i want one thing i do want to say is uh, i texted my friend group and they largely don't care but the last episode of ahsoka is, is called the jedi the witch and the and the warlord which angers me because i'm the guy and you know i've you and i've had this argument probably a dozen times but i'm the guy who, who always said that star wars was it was just Lord of the Rings in space. That's all it was. He fell in love with that novel when he was young, which he fits the right, like Lucas is the right age to have read that when he was super young, when it first was a thing. And, and then he loved it. So he adapted it. Now, what, why that title makes me mad is it's finally come full circle and they've now ripped off the other author in that same space. Of, oh, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Lewis It's like, that's, <laughs> that's an obvious reference to, right. And like that, I, I saw that title. I was like, what, had the audacity of these fucking Disney people, the audacity here. Jeez Louise. But I just want to say that. I just want to get that off my chest. My friends largely did not care, but I hope there's someone out there who cares because that's a, that's an affront. If you ask me, that is an affront. Anyway, final thoughts, Jeremy on where we sit on part two of all the streaming stuff for star Wars. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think just what I said about the uh, the Michael Bay effect. I think um, they need to. I think if anything, I think if anything, we can talk more about this on the next one, the future of Star Wars. But I think they need to be hiring writers first of all who understand where Star Wars comes from, and not just understand that Star Wars comes from those places. But they need to understand what those references are, you know, like these need to be writers who understand something about Westerns and something about samurai films and something about World War Two and something about the list goes on and um, and agenda driven filmmaking and storytelling uh, has to stop as well. It's it's brutalizing what used to be a really, uh, you know, beautiful collection of stories. It's brutalizing everything it touches, and as far as film is concerned, it, just, it. I mean, it's you can't tell a story like that. You have to just let the story tell the story. You can't put all these limitations yeah. and 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 force things into it. You just you just can't do it. That's not how things work in any of the storytelling. So I agree with you that it needs to stop doing that. But here's the question: Will it? That's a, that's that's the question. And then no. <laughs> so as a, as a as a cliffhanger for, for for Star Wars, what do you what do you want to leave as a cliffhanger? Mine would be I have some interesting points uh, to on part three to talk about with uh, Luke Skywalker and where they could have and should have gone with Luke Skywalker. 
and they are not points that they are kind of, you know, I know a Jedi's for defense. Yes, I can hear you, comic book boys. I hear you on that one. However, I have some interesting points to make about Luke Skywalker and where they should have taken his character. Yeah, I think in short, when dealing with the Jedi, uh, they need to stop making being the Jedi just about turning people into swordsmen. I feel like every time now they are training Jedi, that's what they do. They just, you know, uh, and it's it's really indicative of a larger problem, which is that they don't understand these characters. They don't understand this mythology, the people who are who are doing this stuff. And yeah, I'm even talking about people like Dave Filoni. You know, Dave Filoni has admittedly done a lot for Star Wars, but I think there's <clears throat> I think there's probably become an echo chamber of people around him or within Disney who uh, who have completely lost sight of if they ever had sight of what Star Wars was intended to be and it's um, it's doing nothing but harming uh, that mythology. I agree. I agree. And as a as a little to cap off that, I saw two towers in the big on, on the big screen yesterday with the Marquee Cinema's flashback cinema, and uh, it was awesome. It was everything I remember it on the big screen, and it was just nice to see uh, those characters in that story. The middle chapter again. I've seen Fellowship and Two Towers, and I say this as a sharp contrast to Star Wars because that's a story that I think was pretty well adapted, probably the best it adapted it could have been by Jackson. There's not, I mean, there's probably a little room for improvement, but man, that's, that's such a small margin that I don't think you can really put anything else in there, but do you mean, do you mean in the original, uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy from 2001, 2002 and 2003? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I will say, and I know we're on a little bit of a tangent here, but I will say that I think Jackson made a similar mistake to Lucas though. I don't think we needed three Hobbit films. Ooh, um, that's a good cliffhanger right there, baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> all right Jeremy. well thank you for joining me for part two of our the state of star wars uh installments thank you very much for joining me for that this has been episode 350 b of ford love of cinema a movie podcast each new episode posts every tuesday and friday at 5 a.m on the podcast service of your choice of the following five apple podcast Podbean, google podcast spotify and amazon music Please leave a comment or two, rate, subscribe. Every little bit helps. More importantly, thank you very much for listening. Check out the show on Twitter at Love Cinema Pod. I'm at Grayson Maxwell One. I am at Jeremy David Lee. Ooh, Jeremy David Lee posting of he's always posting things. I don't know what they are, but they're things. You should go enjoy them. <laughs> don't forget to check us out on Facebook. Always post things on our social media. Send us an email to for the love of cinema podcast at gmail.com. And next week we're taking a look at Saw 10. Which, Jeremy, I'll have you know, is actually getting very good reviews. And Reptile on Netflix.